The first lesson, which will also be the text for the sermon, is from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and brings salvation. He is humble and is riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have you ever taken one of those word association tests? The way it works, a researcher, psychologist, someone like that says a word, and you are supposed to say the very first word that pops into your mind when you hear that word. So, for example, say, Washington. And maybe the first word into your mind is president. Or maybe it's capital. Or maybe it's traffic. But whatever that first word is that pops into your mind, that's supposed to re reveal something about your mindset and how you think. Right? All right, let's try another one, just for fun. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word king? I don't know, but I would bet dollars to dimes that nobody had the first word come into their mind as humility or humble. And probably not anywhere near that. And there's a reason we don't think humility when we hear the word king. About 3,000 years ago, there was a king named Azitawada who actually wrote this about himself. They found it inscribed on an obelisk. Quote, In my time, my people enjoyed all the best things of life. I conquered all the land no one else had conquered. I am the greatest gift of all for my people. Unquote. About a thousand years after him, there was another king, emperor technically, named Augustus, who said, quote, I am the author of the best form of government in history, unquote. And then there's our old friend, Louis XIV. Even if I wanted to make a mistake, I could not. The delusional arrogance is almost laughable, but we should realize that there is actually a king who can rightfully who can truthfully say all of those things about himself. There is a king who gives all the best things to his people. He conquers what no one else can conquer. He rules the greatest kingdom in the history of the world, and he really does never make a mistake. And that king's name is Jesus Christ. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, five days ahead of his brutal execution and seven days ahead of his resurrection on Easter. And as this greatest king, the one who really could say all of those things about himself, as he rides into Jerusalem, he shows that humility is not a foreign concept to him. In fact, as St. Paul points out in the second lesson that we heard today, this king is pure humility. Now, 2,000 years ago, a king riding around on a donkey, that would kind of like be like today a billionaire driving around in like a 2012 Accord or something like that. In both cases, you have people with tremendous resources 
tremendous power who are clearly just not interested in projecting it, in letting other people know about it. So why does this great king, Jesus, ride into Jerusalem so humbly? Well, one answer is 500 years before he was born, the prophet Zechariah said that he would ride into Jerusalem that way. But another answer is that this king, Jesus, is coming to fight a very unusual battle. He is coming to fight a battle without swords and soldiers and maps and horses. He is coming to fight against our spiritual enemies. He is coming to fight against Satan. He is coming to fight against sin and against the devil. And he is going to win. In order to fight those battles for us and win them, Jesus must set aside his power and his glory, his splendor and his honor. And he does it. Because we are more important to Jesus than all of those things. In order to fight that battle and win for us, he must set aside his honor and glory. And he does it to fight for our salvation and give us peace. And peace that lasts forever. Last Sunday in worship for our confession of faith, we used a portion of Luther's explanation from his large catechism of the second article, which explains the work of Jesus Christ to take our sins away. And, and in that explanation of the second article, Luther used very vivid words to describe these spiritual enemies that Jesus is fighting against. He called them jailers and tyrants. And those words for our spiritual enemies are not only vivid, they are accurate. Sin, death, and Satan lock you down and control you like a jailer, but they don't stop there. They exploit you and torment you like a tyrant. Without Jesus, there is no real spiritual peace. There is no confidence that there is anything at all after our lives in this world. And if there is, where are you going to end up? You don't know if there's anything beyond your 70 or your 80 years if you have the strength. And what happens then is doubtful. And without Jesus, there is guilt of the things that we have done wrong in this life and the fear that if there is anything after this, we may get hit hard for what we have done wrong here in this world. But when Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday, he is riding in to undo all of that. He is riding in to throw out jailers and tyrants of our spiritual enemies and give us peace. And to give us peace that lasts. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it is both the end and the beginning. It is nearing the end of the three decades long perfect life that Jesus lived in the place of his subjects to make us holy in the eyes of God just like him. And it is also the beginning of Jesus' week-long march to that little hill just outside the walls of Jerusalem where he will suffer and die for the sins of the whole world. When other kings come to fight a battle, they have to come with a lot of bravado and a lot of show. But this king has to come humbly. Because he is on a mission to bring that holy life to a close and humble himself to death, even death on a cross. And that saving work is our peace. In the work of Jesus Christ, we know that the devil can no longer control us. Jesus has crushed Satan's head. And in the work of Jesus Christ, we know our sin is gone. The punishment for our sin is paid for and the guilt of our sin is gone too. And in the work of Jesus Christ, 
the nastiest tyrant of them all, death, has been flipped into something beautiful because that meanest enemy of all is now the doorway to eternal peace in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' kingdom is not only in heaven, but it is also here in the hearts of everyone who believes in him. Jesus' peace is so lovely and it is so powerful that he actually uses that peace to conquer hearts. Jesus is not a king who forces people, who compels people to follow him. Instead, he touches them gently with peaceful waters and peaceful words, and the Holy Spirit opens up their hearts, and Jesus walks in and sits down softly on the throne. Jesus' peace is so wonderful and so powerful that it could not be contained in that city of Jerusalem where he won it. We remember Zechariah's words. The battle bow will be taken away and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His kingdom will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. It was once said of the British Empire that the sun never set on it. Once that was said. They don't say that anymore because now it is about the size of Texas. And we know that's what happens eventually to all the kingdoms, all the empires, all the nations in this world. It happened to Azitawada's Phoenicia and Augustus's Rome and Louis' France. But it did, doesn't happen to Jesus' kingdom because his peace is so wonderful and so powerful that it conquers the hearts of people all over this planet every day and it conquered the hearts of all of Jesus' people who already rest in the perfect peace of heaven. A day is coming when our King Jesus is going to bring that perfect peace from heaven to this earth. And all of his people who are still alive in this world are going to get to see the total fulfillment of the peace that Jesus won on Palm Sunday. There will be peace not only inside of us, but there will be peace all around us too. Right now, of course, we have peace inside. We have peace knowing that our sins are forgiven and knowing that we are right with God. But peace around us in this world can be very hard to find. Whenever you live in a place where there is sin and there is unbelief, you are going to have conflict, even among family and friends and political parties and entire nations. But when Jesus brings that peace from heaven to earth, all of that will be gone. No more sibling rivalries or workplace tension or classroom conflicts, no more missile tests or invasions. He promises, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be taken away. Until that day comes, the hearts in this world that are ruled by Jesus' peace must strive to show that peace among themselves. Jesus does promise in the Gospels that there will always be conflict in this world between believers and unbelievers, but he commands those who trust in him to live at peace with each other. And one of the keys for us to do that is to keep our eyes on the humble mindset of our Savior Jesus. St. Paul says to the Philippians that Jesus' humility is our salvation, but he also says Jesus' humility is our example. Today and every day, we need to watch carefully as our Savior Jesus humbly puts us first.
ahead of the power and glory that rightfully belong to him, he put us and our interests first to free us from our spiritual enemies. The more we keep our eyes on that, the more we will put the interests of each other first. And the more we do that, the more we will live at peace until we reach the perfect peace of heaven. And just before we leave today, we should not miss Zechariah's joyful encouragement. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. During this coming Holy Week, of course, there is sadness that tempers our joyful shouting as Christians as we watch the Savior that we love suffer greatly the punishment that we deserve for our sins. But even underneath the sadness of Holy Week, there is joy for Christians in knowing that Jesus' story, how Jesus' story ends. So even during the sadness of this week, keep the joy, quiet as it might be, and when the day of Jesus' final victory comes over death on Easter morning, then shout it loud and clear. Rejoice greatly. Today is a busy Sunday. Some might argue too busy. Uh, it is also Confirmation Sunday. And it's always hard when there's only one kid getting confirmed to write the sermon mostly as a confirmation sermon and then you're just staring down this one poor kid the whole time <laughs> and it's very awkward. So I decided to do this mostly as a Palm Sunday service. But Patrick, you should know that everything our King Jesus did, he did for you. For you, he won the peace that passes all understanding, and he has gently entered your heart to rule. And by God's grace, thank God, you know that. May you always keep your eyes on your humble King Jesus and the victory that he is riding into Jerusalem to win for you today. May you enjoy his peace in your heart for as long as Jesus gives you in this world, and may you enjoy it forever in the kingdom of heaven. May you watch Jesus' humility and live like him and live at peace with all his people. I hope Jesus gives you a lot of years in this world and he blesses you in every possible way. But the best thing Jesus could ever give you, he has already given to you and the whole world. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He is our King Jesus and his salvation is our peace. Amen.